We're on our Thin Places series, and we're going to talk about the sea. I love the sea. I always have. My, my daughter and uh, Josh and the, the three grands there are at the sea right now. They're at the Gulf of Mexico because they can be. And if you can escape to the beach, that's a great place to be. I know some of you don't care for the beach or the sea, but you're wrong. It's a, <clears throat> it's a beautiful place uh, to reconnect. I love just watching the sea from, from land or from a deck. Whenever Cammie and I take cruises, she has all kinds of activities planned, and so do I, but they're different. Hers involve activities. Uh, mine involves sitting looking at the sea and looking at a book sometimes as well. But there are times where you can be caught on the sea when you want to get off of the sea. I'll never forget the time, and I've always loved boats and ships, but uh, some friends offered to take us out for a day. Uh, my wife's dad was visiting uh, Scotland, and he was, uh, they were going to take us out for a little fishing thing. And, and Jerry, my father-in-law, loves fishing. He said, oh, I'd love to go. And because I wasn't thinking, I said, all right, sure, why not? Well, it, this was not a ship. This was not, I wouldn't even call it much of a boat. It was a tiny thing with a flat bottom. You don't take a flat bottom boat into the North Sea, but they did. Uh, I guess technically the Irish Sea, that side. And it was a little one-stroke diesel engine, so it's going thump, 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 and blue fumes are going all over us, and the fish guts all around us, and we're bouncing. I wasn't long on that boat till I said, just pull into shore somewhere. And they said, oh, we'll be up here at that porch in about an hour and a half. And I said, no, I see green right there. That's put me. They said, but there's no roads there. There's no village there. And I said, I can make my way across land. Get me to shore. And they did. And I, I, I matched the color of the sea and the shore at that point. I didn't like it then. Boats are used as a theme in scripture. And if you start looking for it, it becomes rather dramatic. Sometimes we want to be on solid ground. Those of you going on the cruise with us in January, there's still time to, to join that if you'd like. Uh, we're going to be on the biggest ship out there, and it doesn't do this. Of course, if it does that now, but it hasn't. You know, it's, it's, it's just too big for that. We're talking about the small one. In the Old Testament, to show you how stark a theme this is, Boats are only mentioned twice, and not as boats, but as metaphors about papyrus boats, super thin light boats that the uh, Egyptians and Philistines, who were known as the people of the sea, the Philistines were, uh, they are the sea peoples, papyrus boats, how fast they went, but they're only mentioned twice. Then you get to the Gospels, and boats are mentioned 40 times. Some will say more than 40 the larger, secure, stable ships, they're not mentioned in the Gospels. But they're mentioned 60 times in the New Testament outside the Gospels. There's a theme here if you're going to look for it. Ships are stable. Ships are safe. But a little boat, that's a thin place of decision in the Gospels. They introduce a boat into the story when there's a dramatic thing about to happen and they need a boat to illustrate what's about to happen. It's a, it's a moment when you're in a boat where you have to make a decision. Early on, for example, Jesus calls those on ships to follow him, as, or boats rather. 
as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus must have had a relationship with these people. He must have grown up with them, talked about them, set this up, because you just don't walk into a place and they drop the nets and follow you unless they have a reason to say, it's time. Now's the time to go. And again, I have a father-in-law who is a fisherman, and I can tell you right now that if you just walked by him and say, drop all that and come with me, not going to happen. Fishermen tend to want to fish. They'll go out, and I've been, some will even try to get me interested in it and say, it's a sport. If you can gain weight while doing it, that's not a sport. Uh, so that's all I, I, I'm going to go from there. Um, Jesus must have had a relationship with these guys, but they still, and they would have known Jesus, but you've got to wonder, do you know what you're about to get yourself into? When you follow this guy, there are going to be waves of confusion, waves of decision, tides that pull at you for the rest of your life. Look at how boat stories are placed in the Gospels. Here's an example. Jesus is about to demand a decision from his followers. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. By the way, I want to stop there because a lot of people use that passage to indicate that we are to live in poverty. That is not what he is saying. This is a Jewish way of saying, you have no idea where I'm going. There is no destination set. There's nothing set for me to lay down. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now what's going on there? The phrase, bury my father, did not mean that his dad was dead. It meant, I will follow you as soon as my father is dead, and that frees me from any obligation. And he's saying, you don't wait to do what you're supposed to do. You do it. And so we miss this because we're, we're not Jews. Then what happens? Right after that, Jesus gets in a boat. Those who join him in the boat are immediately caught in a storm. And this is a pivotal story in Scripture. It's a hinge point. Let's take a look at this. Same chapter, immediately following. Then he got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The people were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And again, we, we tend to over-spiritualize something in this story. We will say, he is telling them, you don't have enough faith because water and winds and waves can't kill me. It's not what he's saying. 
He's saying, why are you so concerned about dying? Why are you so concerned? And you can be so afraid to die that you never get a chance to live. You can be, take so many precautions. In fact, I carried in my wallet until I uh, sent my wallet through the laundry too many times. I need to stress this is pre-cami days when we don't, didn't check things. And you know, she does laundry correctly. She separates things by colors. I, I consider that racist. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I put them all in there and insist that they learn to get along. Anyway, <clears throat> but I'd sent the wallet to, through the, uh, too many times and a little piece of paper disintegrated, but it was a quote that said, the chief danger in life is that you will take too many precautions. Something that I've thought about a lot when you read this Jesus story. Say, what are you afraid of? By the way, Matthew leaves out a lot of the passion and the fear in this story. Mark puts it in, and the reason is, Matthew wants, this is how a king behaves. Matthew's all about the king. This is how a king deals with it. Where Mark is Peter saying, Jesus is my friend. And so here in Mark, Jesus fiercely rebukes the storm. He gets between the storm and his people, even in the boat, even in that rocky place of decision and fear of not feeling solid. Luke says in um, Luke chapter 8 and 23 that the, that the boat was seriously in danger of sinking. It says the, the boat was swamped with waves. Now, if you're not a person that's been out on the water a lot, you may not quite understand that. Boats float, uh, it, it's a physics thing, but let's just say magic. But um, if, if the waves come over it, they can come over the gunnels, over the sides, and they can actually weigh you down to the point where what was floatable now isn't, and it loses that characteristic. And that's what, that, it was that bad. Luke brings it in. It's that bad. Mark sa uh, says, Peter, says, Jesus had to fiercely rebuke it. Matthew just does this king thing. So he was awoken, and he said, you little faith, and he just stopped the storm. Interesting how the different characteristics there. And I've always thought, well, if you think you're going to die, why would you wake him up? It's kind of like we're all, we're all going to die now. thought you wouldn't want to miss it. You know, it's, a, it's probably interesting. Uh, somehow, but they were not overreacting. That's what I really want to drive in here. They were in fear of their life. They were not overacting. They were experienced sailors of small craft, and they knew deadly danger when they saw it. So there goes the question. Will you trust the Lord even when you're in the boat? Not solid ground. When you're being rocked about and boats, by the way, also don't like to go on a heading. In other words, I, I want to go that way. I want to go 27 degrees. I want to go north, northeast. No, boats don't do that. Boats move constantly. You have to constantly correct. Many of you are now beginning to see the metaphor. Boats are being used for when we're in there, not sure what's going on, how we should deal with this, where we're going, constantly having to look up to check where we are. You've all seen little kids get behind a wheel of a parked car and try to emulate the driving. And what do they do? They saw that thing violently back and forth. Now, we don't really drive like that, but that's what they see. They see the constant correction. Yeah, that's a boat. That's what happens on a boat. Will you trust God 
in mortal peril. Look at this. This story, I can never get over this story. It's in John 11. This point of the story always just, I don't want to say amazes me. It's more like a, a shocks me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He is asking a woman whose dear, loved, beloved brother is in the grave right there. And he is looking at her saying, do you believe the people who live in me will not die? If she says yes, which she does, kind of. She, she throws a little spin on it. If she says yes, what's she saying about her brother? Of course, we know what he means. But she had never been to vacation Bible school. She had never sung the songs. She had never heard the sermons. Jesus, right now, Mary and Martha are in a boat, metaphorically speaking. And Jesus is saying, who do you believe? Who do you trust? Do you trust your eyes? Or do you trust what I'm telling you? Do you trust your emotions? Kids um, over here... I've been going to a lot of graduation parties. If you notice a, um, um, a very severe lack of carbs, it's because I've been going to a lot of graduation parties. I think I've consumed them. Uh, sometimes people will give you a lot of bad uh, advice. Whenever I go to a graduation party, I always, when I talk to the person, uh, I, I phrase it by saying, we are old people, and so we're going to ask you an old people question. Because old people, I only have a certain number of things they can talk to you about. And that is, what are you going to be when you're not who you are? You know, what, what do you want to study? Because we can't at all identify with you now. So eventually, whenever you become something we can't identify with, what will that be? Is really what we're asking. And it's an unfair question. We know that. And you get tired of hearing it. And we know that. But we don't have anything else. You know, we... Um, we can talk to you about, we've thought about putting in a garden this year, but that's not interesting either. <laughs> Frankly, that's not interesting to me either. <laughs> but you will get some advice that will say, follow your heart. Don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> it is. It is. Your heart will lie to you all the time. Love is not just blind. It is deaf, dumb, stupid, and I don't, it is dangerous. It, it sh- it's just, don't do that. It's rather like the first Star Wars movie that was made when your parents were kids, where here's a guy flying a spacecraft in a battle, and the best advice they can come with, up with is, don't think. Really? Here, Luke, be stupid. That'll save you. No, no. Jesus is going to ask you to believe things that your heart says is a lie. Jesus is going to ask you to believe things that your eyes say is a lie. Just like he did at that grave, just like he did in that boat, he's going to look at you and say, who you're going to trust. And I'm getting chills now because I want to tell you something. You can be 61 years old like me, and that question still comes to you. It'll still hit you and say, who are you going to trust? Notice something. Jesus calls for a decision of faith and commitment, and now they face a uh, 
uh, a, a storm, and they head toward an attack. As soon as the, the storm is calmed, they reach the shore. Religious leaders are right there on top of them to accuse them of blasphemy. The worst charge you could level against a human being in that fiercely monotheistic culture of the Jews. But there's a pattern in the Gospels. Look for it. A challenge, a decision must be made. A life-threatening storm then occurs on the water, and then on the other side, a confrontation either with a demon or a hostile crowd. It's almost reminiscent of the Old Testament where Baal continually shows up. Baal was the storm god, continually shows up to destroy the people of God, but also to get their worship. And there were those that left the worship of God because their hearts told them different to worship the god of the storm because they saw his power. They just had to believe and the power of God that they often didn't see. Which way are you going to go? Look at Matthew 14, for example. Jesus feeds the 5,000. We've done that story several times in my four years here, so we're not going to go over it just now. But what happens after he feeds? Remember, there's doubt. These people need food. He says, feed them. They don't know what to do, but they line the people up. Jesus feeds them miraculously. Then he tells the disciples, get in a boat, and he sends them off on their own. You've got some decisions to make. He doesn't go out with them this time. No, you go out there. You have some decisions to make, some conclusions at which to arrive. Maybe, just maybe, after this miracle, they'll find faith. They'll learn to, as the old story says, and we just sang, trust and obey. I'm told by my parents, although I do not remember this, that when I was a boy, I loved that song but had no idea of what the words were. So I would sing, Crust and Okay, for there's snow in our way. <laughs> they, they were concerned because now they realized even at three, they had a son that was unorthodox, singing in tongues, and they didn't know what to do with me. But I sang it with gusto, and I've always learned that if you're going to make a mistake, do it enthusiastically. But once again in a boat, will they trust and obey? They're facing a decision. What happens? A storm hits them. So Jesus looks out and he sees them. And the scripture says, he went out to be with them. And then the next line is, and as he was passing them. I still find that very humorous. He goes out to be with them, but it's almost like he's going to race them to the other side. He's going to lap them. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Some people say this is a big theology thing, and I'm not really buying into that. We all know the story of what happens to Peter. Peter looks over, and he goes, can I come out there? And we all know, because we've had the stories of then Peter looked at the winds and the waves, and he lost his faith, and he began to sink. A, a couple of things, people. Number one, Peter still holds the world's record for human beings walking on water. So let's not diss him, right? Second, Peter is the only one in the boat that made the right decision. Go to Jesus. That when you don't know what to do, you're in a boat that's being tossed, you cannot see a way that this is going to end well, you cannot find your way forward, you're constantly knocked off direction, go to Jesus. And Peter is the only one that made the right decision there. We've had, I've had people say, but, but Jesus rebuked him. No, he didn't. He just observed. You lost your faith and you, and you began. 
Do you remember this? Remember this. Don't lose your faith. Observation is not being negative. And that's all he was doing. He was saying, I want you to observe what happened here, Peter. We alternate. We're the same as Peter. Peter made a great decision, then a not-so-good decision. Does that sound like your life? Certainly sounds like mine. We will always, at times, be in a boat. And Jesus will be there for us. There's something else I find fascinating here that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, the book of John adds to it. It seems that while Peter wanted to go to Jesus, the others in the boat didn't think that was a good idea because that not because walking on water. It was because they were afraid of Jesus. Now think about that one. John chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. But he said to them, it's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Now you see this? They were afraid to go to him. Peter wasn't. And then once he said, I'm Jesus, they finally agreed. They had a meeting, I guess, a little voting, perhaps. Uh, Robert's Rules of Orders were, in, uh, were put in. The, but then to let, him, to let him into the boat. But you know something, as absurd as that sounds, that's exactly what we have to do when we're in a boat. When we're not sure where we are. Where we're knocked off balance. Where we're disoriented. Where we're afraid. Will you make the decision to let him in? Will you let the decision, instead of fighting this on your own, let him in? It's kind of like drowning. People, you, you see it on TV and you think people drown by yelling, help, help, and coming up. People drown silently. Their lungs are not working. You might just think they're out there, they're drowning. It's a silent thing. Somebody swims out to get them. What do they teach lifeguards? One of the first things they teach lifeguards is don't let the person you're saving kill you because they will. They will grasp all over you. And, and one of the things you, a lifeguard is taught to say constantly is relax, I've got you. Relax, I've got you. But even then, if you've done lifeguarding, you know this. They teach you, do not approach them directly. Come from the side or behind and grab them from the back so that they do not grab you. There are a lot of times I want Jesus to show up right now, right here, front and center, let's go. But Jesus knows if he does, that's not going to work. So he comes in circles. And I begin to feel myself pulled in a direction. And eventually I'm saved. I wanted to be more dramatic. I wanted to be, let's, uh, to be fair, I wanted it to be more immediate. But you just have to let loose and let him do it. Let him do it. They had encountered the divine. They had encountered a thin place, but it took a while before they were willing to let him in the boat. Wow. So, lesson learned, but not for long. Why? Because we're human. We get distracted. We, we see other things. We forget. Jesus feeds the next time. On, he does it again. This time, 4,000 people in Matthew 16. This time, as a change, he gets into the boat and leaves them behind. Now, what's going on here? I need to step out of the lane here for a little bit and tell you one other use for the word boat in Gospels is sometimes you need to get away. 
Sometimes you need to be on your own to do some thinking. So Jesus leaves them behind. He steps away. He finds some solitude. Why? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but I do know what the purpose of finding solitude is, and that is talk to God and make some decisions. Jesus had to make some decisions too. Will I keep these people? Will I start working with somebody else? How will I do this? How's the next thing going to be? And if you're thinking, oh, he's God, he had that, all that sorted. The Gospels are very plain that Jesus gave away that power to step into skin. And the only power he had was the power that God gave him. And through the Holy Spirit, he gave him that power. So Jesus had moments where he had to say, what do I do? How do I handle this? And he got away. He'd fed 5,000 called for faith. He'd fed 4,000 called for their faith, and they still were struggling with it. But be, I want you to be aware. It's all right to go to your boat. It is not all right to live in your boat. The longer you're out there, postponing decision perhaps, or avoiding the people, the, the less likely you're going to get resolution. You need to be in the community of faith. You need to be with the group. Every person that I know of struggles with that. There are times that they want to be alone. The problem is being alone for some of us is, very, is a siren song that is very addictive. But you need to be with the group. Two passages need to be read to really get this. Matthew 16, 5 through 12. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. We're backing up in the story. Be careful, Jesus said. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, it, that's a metaphor, but they didn't get it. They discussed this among themselves, saying, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? I can almost see them going, 12? Because this is one of those moments. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000. And how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood, which, by the way, you got to give them credit for because we didn't. Right? None of us got it by that point in the story. We had to keep going. That he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What, by the way, we won't go into what all that means right now, but uh, again, they were off balance. The teaching of the Pharisees was legalism. The Sadducees was something called antinomianism. And it just means legalism or no law. And he's saying, don't go either way. Don't go either way. For example, legalism. This is how easy this is done. We're a church full of prayer. What if I were to say up here, do we all agree that starting, or that, that at noon, a 12-minute period of silent prayer at noon every day would make our church stronger, our nation better? I think we would all agree. All right, let's make it a rule. And if you don't do it, you can't go to heaven. You see, that's how legalism works. It is so quick to legislate what you feel is good. Jesus says, don't do that. Or to go the other way, 
to have somebody talk to you about Noah's Ark and say, I don't really think it was the world. I think it was a local flood, and here's why. And all of a sudden you go, I don't believe in any of the Bible now. Really? Really? Let's back up a bit. That would be a Sadducee thing, where they didn't believe in miracles or angels or demons or the like. Don't go that direction either. Be careful who you're fellowshipping. Remember all those table stories. There's a reason we, we saved this one. All those table stories. Eat with Jesus. Don't eat with that. Watch what bread you put in. We, when we first came to America, we lived in central Ohio for, I think, nine years before we found out we were free to go. And the, <laughs> there were people there, and there are probably people here too that were part of, 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 a, of a subculture where they made their own bread. First of all, bread tastes fantastic. It does. The, what they produced was great. But these people saved their starter. And when they went on vacation, they would take it to others and say, this is up to you to care and nurture for this while we are away. And there was, I think, a ceremony. I think a chicken died. I'm not sure. But it was, it was awfully important. Jesus says, watch out what bread you're eating. Whenever you're in that boat, who are you listening to? To be honest, I can, I can hear Mark 8 in my head a lot. The disciples had forgotten this, another take on it, to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. I find that interesting. Matthew forgot about that one, but somebody had one tucked away. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Uh, Sadducees didn't get mentioned in this one. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? This is what I hear from God a lot. Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. I'm sure they said that. And, and when, when I broke the seven loaves for the, the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you break, pick up? Seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? God ever have to talk to you like this? When you're in your boat? Oh, he does me. He does me. Jesus is saying, well, who, who are you going to believe when you see the waves? Who are you going to believe when you're caught in a storm? Another time Jesus had to use the boat for solitude was after his cousin was brutally killed. Matthew chapter 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. <laughs> he went on solitude, but they went to be with him. Why? Because they, in their culture, they sincerely believed if somebody is grieving, they, they cannot be alone. It is our duty to be with them. And so they went to find him. Good on them. Good on them. Jesus was hurt. He was sad for John. He was sad for what John went through. I'm sure he thought of all the good that John had done and how the devil would spend this death to attack the faith of many. Because the devil still does that. He still uses physical death and suffering to make us wonder about God. And all of a sudden, we're on a boat Jesus needed alone time. He needed to heal. He needed to think. He needed to process, as we would say today. And he needed to pray. Years ago, John Ortberg wrote a book that I cannot recommend highly enough. 
It's got a long title. It's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And it's a fantastic book. Will you believe in God when it's dark? When you're surrounded by the rush of wind and waves? When every time you get out of the boat, you seem to be attacked by the devil or by people that claim to be Christians? So you get back in the boat, and there's another storm. You go to the other side, and now another decision has to be made. Will you still follow Jesus? Will you walk by faith, or will you demand sight? And I am not preaching at you. Please understand that. I'm, notice the expression, in the same boat. I am often, as you, at sea. All of these expressions come from this. It's a place of decision, a thin place. And even if we demanded sight, I think Jesus would just step in front of us and say, haven't you seen enough already? Open your eyes. Open your ears. Mark, bring your group on up. In a, in a meeting this morning, the worship pre-meeting, I talked about that old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There are a couple of boat illusions in there as well. And Mark said, well, if you told me about that, I would have sung them. And I said, I, I know. I just like to make you look incompetent. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> and that's hard to do. He's pretty good at this. I, uh, but we may, we may sing that next week because next week, and this is one of those things, I'm not sure if it's a God thing or just an odd coincidence because my eyes and ears don't always see but next week, the Thin Place story is about death. And here we've lost one of our most beloved people. It's Memorial Day weekend. This was set up a long time ago. We're going to talk about what do you do when you seem to be at sea in the boat. Will you stand with me, please? <clears throat> Remember this. If you're in a boat right now, yes, yes, the boat is a place of noise, confusion, but it's also where you meet God. It's also a thin place if you decide to see. Matthew 13, 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Keep them open this week.